0: Welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. We've got Michael Schwartz here, sports content researcher, uh, extraordinaire of, of sports type things, as well as one of the godfathers of Suns blogging. Uh, how are you doing, Michael?
1: I'm doing great. Fun time of year, huh?
0: It really is. I think this might have been, in my opinion, the craziest offseason of all time in NBA history.
1: Uh, you know, I, I think you might be right, and I think 2021 might even be crazier.
0: Which is crazy because we had like what was it three point five billion dollars in, in
1: yeah over that now it's over three point eight probably close to four once we get the Simmons one in especially close to four billion
0: which is just crazy because that's for people who don't know this kind of stuff that's the entire valuation of two NBA franchises like combined like right there that's two whole franchises and contracts given out in what three days.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I think the Suns were about 400 million. So um, that's, I mean, that's two if you're counting the Steve Ballmer uh, huge price he paid for the Clippers. But that might be ten franchises otherwise.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're not counting, yeah, because you're, you're not, yeah, you're not counting the Clippers, which was so nice. expensive recently. But the other valuations are probably under that for sure. Um, so yeah, we, had, I mean, we had the Kawhi, Paul George bomb. Anthony Davis finally getting the trade that he wanted. Um, the, the Lakers not getting anybody else and having to fill 12 roster spots in, like, a day. Um, the I mean, what else? I've There's so much to happen. I forgot all the stuff that happened.
1: Yeah, the Kyrie and Kemba and, um, I mean, the yeah, Rogier, sure. And Kelly Oubre Jr., Ricky Rubio. Jimmy Butler to the Heat. Yeah, that was a wild one, and the mechanics that that it took to get it done. Uh, a lot of teams getting creative in different ways. A lot of teams using sign-and-trades, which hadn't happened, um, at least on a wide scale in a while, certainly for these kind of stars. like I didn't think Miami would have any chance to get Jimmy Butler just because you needed, A, for him to say, hey, I want to go there, and then you also needed to placate Philadelphia. And then with where Miami was at, um, with the tax and be, becoming a team uh, that would had a hard cap just below 139 million. Once they do the sign and trade, uh, they what they had to send out to still bring in Butler required the white side deal with Portland, and then having it expanded where uh, Mo Harkless ended up going to the Clippers for a first round pick. So that was an incredibly complicated maneuver, and then of course that's one of the first round picks that ends up going in the Paul George trade that helps land Kawhi there. So it really was wild.
0: The big we we had the, that Paul George trade is probably or definitely the record for number of draft picks or at least impacted the draft picks um, sent in a deal. I mean, what was it?
1: Yeah, it's it was it was five first round picks and two pick swaps, and then also Shea Gilders Alexander. Last year's first round pick. So pretty much six first round picks, if you include him.
0: And Daniel Gallinari.
1: Sure, sure. He was more of a salary filler, but oh, he's good. He possibly, no, he's really good. Um, he's, I'd say a borderline all star. I mean, he might be flipped for another first round pick. I'm just saying for, uh, Oklahoma City's utility. I don't know if he, ma- he was more for, uh, matching salary, but he absolutely could and probably will be traded and, um, I'm sure they could fetch a pretty penny for him.
0: Yeah, he's he's on those perfect deadline deals in February to go to uh, the Bucks or something like that.
1: Sure, an, ex, an expiring contract. I think Portland is is a good fit for him. Yeah, but it's um, a big wing. It, 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 yeah, it'll it'll be tough, but yeah, big expiring contract for a guy who's uh, uh, just below all star level, level. That's absolutely valuable.
0: You're one piece away from contention, right there, especially right, yeah. with the crazy amount of parity we haven't seen since like what 2008
1: Well it's tough cuz in 20 I'd say 2014 because nobody knew what the Warriors were then that's this is all hindsight they were this who is this Warriors team taking the league by storm but we certainly thought with um LeBron leaving the Heat that there would be some sort of parody there and then obviously the Warriors just turned into a dynasty and, and the Cavs were what they were but, um, I, yeah, I'd say just a lot of really good teams and a lot of teams where it might be almost like this year where it, it comes down to injuries. Cause, uh, if the Lakers or Clippers or Warriors suffer injuries to a key player, they're probably not winning the title. But I think those three teams in particular to me are the favorites, probably along with Milwaukee and Philadelphia, just because they're clearly the, the best t- teams in the East. But, uh, any of those teams, you, you miss a, a key player, k- kinda like what we saw with the Warriors. I mean, that just got ridiculous, of course, where, uh, it could almost just be a war of attrition to see whichever team is healthiest at the right time.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Warriors, but I mean, are, do you think they're gonna make anything better than the seventh seed?
1: Um, I don't think it matters if they make anything better than the seventh seed, because if, if, if Denver or Utah is the two seed and you see the Warriors as the seven seed, are you not terrified? Even the Lakers, if, you know, the Warriors are a team that, I, I, you know, this actually really frustrates me. I, I know the Warriors are 11 to 1 title, um, have title odds, which I think is an incredible bet, quite honestly. And I, I just don't get it. Klay Thompson's injury timeline, which I don't necessarily believe that the Warriors put out, was five to seven months. But even if it's seven months, that's back in January. He's for sure going to be back by the All-Star break. And if you've got D'Angelo or whatever they trade for him, him for, and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green, uh, you got Willie Colley Stein, who's probably been, uh, maybe the better than any centers they've had of late uh, since, I guess, when Bogut was really rolling for them. Um, I just don't know why, They're that much worse. I mean, this team just swept the West finals without Kevin Durant.
0: Yeah, you're Uh, you're convincing me to believe in them again. I, but looking at the rest of the roster, you're like, you named the only rotation players on the entire team.
1: Right. But those, those guys made five straight finals and obviously they're not what they've been. They're not the juggernaut that they've been, but they've, they've got that, the talent, the experience. All those guys are right in their primes. So it's assuming Clay, uh isn't hampered i mean obviously if, if he's not clay it's it's a different story but if you have those three and d'angelo russell that's four all-stars and in the playoffs absolutely regular season they're probably going to struggle a bit and lose more games than we're accustomed to but i would take them up against anyone in the west
0: absolutely and the jazz are going to be good the nuggets are going to be finally kind of battle tested um so that'll be interesting uh, I don't know how I just love this league so much that I we I had you on to talk about the Suns and let's we can get to that in a second. But yeah. this league is amazing. Yeah. This league is so interesting. I love it's, covering it and talking about it.
1: It's going to be a fun year, and and something we talked about a lot at ESPN is is just the inevitability of the last few years and how that could be kind of tough. Just thinking, uh, oh, we know the Warriors are going to win, and you know we have all these shows and especially NBA Countdown previewing all these games and. It it felt inevitable and then of course A, the funny part is it wasn't inevitable because the Warriors didn't win so maybe we should have not just been assuming that this whole time. And then B, you won't have that this year at all because we really have no idea who's going to win. A lot of High variance. I mean, the the Lakers, I could see easily flaming out in the second, maybe even the first round, or certainly winning the title. Warriors, maybe they're the seventh seed and they do run into a tough matchup and and they lose early, or I certainly could see them winning the title. So all these teams in the West, Utah and Denver, could certainly see them making a, a deep, maybe even conference finals run or I could see them losing in the first round. So there's there's no inevitability whereas it, it's felt like in years past like okay, what does this first round matchup really matter? We know the Warriors are going to beat either team, you know.
0: Yeah, we have I think I was talking to somebody about this at a work and it's it's like there's no finally there's like no best team, but there's also no like middle class. Everybody is exactly like middle um upper middle class. If that makes sense. Yeah. in the, in the yeah. West especially. Definitely. Definitely. Except for like the four teams that are below them. Cause there has to be some of them. But anyway, um, we'll talk, we can probably end up once we, Just speaking of
1: teams below. <laughs> yeah.
0: Once we talk about the suns, we can get to more of some prediction type stuff or some musings as it were. Um, so the suns had a, uh, you and I were tweeting the other day and that's kind of why, uh, this came about. Um, I'm happy with the way the off season went. Why don't you kind of give your overview from your perspective and we'll dive into the specifics.
1: Yeah. And, um, it feels like this has been gone over on Sun's Twitter ad nauseum, but the asset usage hasn't has been somewhat poor. Um if you look at it on a pure asset basis, it's not quite like the Ryan McDonough era where he quite frankly did a nice job um of acquiring assets. He just didn't turn them into anything when he used those draft picks. Um this team, if you look at the roster, is much better on paper than it was at the end of last year, um, it's it's much deeper. The, there's a legit bench. You've got real pros like Aaron Baines, whose pickup I really liked um, last year. They pretty much didn't have a legitimate point guard or power forward, two of the five positions on the floor, and they they just didn't have a credible option aside from uh, using s- some of their good small forwards at, at power forward. Now you got Dario Saric, who. I think is a really nice fit offensively with the way he shoots threes um and also already knows how to—not that Ayton is Embiid, but I feel like having played with Embiid will help him play with Aiton. And then finally a point guard in Ricky Rubio, who has struggled in the playoffs, sure— um, Utah didn't seem to think he was the guy to take him to the next level but is a massive upgrade over what the Suns have had and I'm excited to see the, the easy buckets he gets for Ayton and and certainly Booker who hasn't had much help in having baskets created for him so maybe some overpays along the way um, certainly in terms of assets but it was all along the margins like for example the way the Suns got off the Josh Jackson contract with a one second rounder, a conditional second rounder, having to trade Melton, it that felt like a lot, but we're talking about fringe players and um, players that, at the end of the day, especially looking at the Suns' recent track record of second round picks, it's assets that's not really going to hurt you. It, it might hurt you and not being able to grease the wheels in a future trade, but um, it kind of feels like the misses were were smaller and if, if you just look at the picture at the end of the day, it's like, okay, this is better.
0: Yeah, so th- this is, I'm going to probably wander during this podcast quite a bit because I have a lot of thoughts on this, on many aspects of what you said there. Um, one thing I was mulling over today was that people get on, they get on James Jones and this thing for asset management and yet the thing that, like you said, McDonald was best at was asset management and maximization. I mean, Getting a, getting a first-round pick for Marquise Morris after he asked out and wouldn't play and was, like, sandbagging is incredible. I mean, there was no way that should have happened. Um, and then all this stuff. So, But the weird thing is that James Jones couldn't make the team the way it was without McDonough doing his thing. And McDonough – people don't understand. McDonough was so I'm, – I'm probably one of the foremost Suns Twitter proponents for McDonough. I know I see his flaws, but I'm saying – his was so necessary, him being doing what he did. I would love to have seen him try to do it do the Suns GM job two years from now. Um because the, but they had no assets before. They had no assets at all.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's it that's that's the thing that we'll have to see with James Jones if he will be able to make those same kind of McDonough trades um, to get assets and just to see I guess we're just learning what he values really
0: yeah and the thing is like like like, I'm still a fan of Josh Jackson I think he's gonna be good whatever that means but it's like so, this, somehow people in the national media other people are saying okay boo on you for trading him also some of the bad players so Okay, pick one. Do they have bad players, or do they... When you trade, like... Like you said, the picture is better. I mean, we're... I'm looking at the the roster. I mean, the number of, one, people that are in their prime is, like, times a 1,000%. As opposed to people who are way over it or before it. I mean... And I, I, so let's, yeah, so let's, let's go to the draft for now. Cameron Johnson, and what did you think, what did you think about the draft? And we'll get to all the other players.
1: Well, I mean, I was very big on Clark. So, uh, Brandon Clark, the Gonzaga forward, grew up in Phoenix. So, um, I was bummed. I did think he would be, especially defensively, a perfect fit with DeAndre Ayton. And if he continues to develop his jump shot, a fine fit offensively as well. So I thought trading down was fine. Um, I did not want to pick a point guard in this draft, especially when it wasn't going to be Morant. Um, I really, really did feel like this team needed a, a veteran point guard and that a, a, no rookie point guard usually is that good. And this team just didn't have time to see a rookie point guard develop with where Devin Booker is at in his career and with the way a, a real point guard like a Ricky Rubio could help Aiton. So trading out of it in that way. I was more than happy with. If they would have picked Clark, I would have been actually thrilled with that maneuver because I'm I'm pretty high in Sharich. Um, Cam Johnson I just wasn't really a target that I had considered. Um, I've certainly warmed up to the pick more now, and you really can never have too much shooting. Um, and this team in particular, that was one of the things that it certainly needed to upgrade massively uh, with three point shooting and percentage and makes per game being among the worst teams in the league last year. So I guess the question is just going to be how does he fit in defensively? What position does he guard? Um, is he going to be anything more than a six-foot-eight standstill shooter? And I'm fine with it, certainly more fine with it now than I was on on draft day. And um, And then Jerome feels like he'll be a perfect third guard who you can play with Booker, who you can um, also almost be a, a backup shooting guard as well. So I, I feel like especially the the trade made to get him uh, dealing the Milwaukee pick and to get Baines as well, that was a really strong maneuver.
0: Yeah, for me, I think that before the draft I said they better not pick in the top 10. and They went right to 11, and I was happy with that. I really was going to be um, upset if they picked Kobe White. And that's what yes. he to me about the general the – general, see, Kobe White's probably fine, right? But the problem is about the, the way people in the one cover the draft because they talk about Suns need a point guard. Draft the best point guard available to you when they can draft. Well, that's not how anything works in terms of how to build a team. Like you so mentioned, they needed a veteran point guard because the, the perception of the Suns is that – The Suns need to get they need to be good. They need to get better if they want to keep Devin Booker long long term. If they want to create a culture of winning, you have to win. Well you need veterans to win. You're not gonna do that with a rookie point guard, especially if you have other rookies that you're trying to develop. As I was saying for the last four the whole time of this podcast, pretty much, you can only develop like three players at a time. It's right now Booker's probably aged out. It's it's Bridges and Ayton and Cam Johnson now. And that's really all you need to really develop at the moment and so oh gosh it's, it's i don't really want to rant too much but it's that i mean yeah the, how how people cover the draft and how they slap people in really frustrates me so i'm okay. glad that they went down um doesn't hurt to get the best shooter didn't, I, I, I almost didn't really care i almost wish they had had treated out of the draft completely um in in, in one sense but i'm fine with cam johnson for sure
1: and this is almost um, ridiculous and kind of hypocritical of me after talking about not needing a rookie point guard. But the point guard class next year is unbelievable. So yes, now it feels like the Suns have five point guards on the roster. You got Rubio signed for three years. You've got uh, Ty Jerome. But, um, you know, if, if the Suns end up Either, either with, with the, the top, top 10, 10 pick, pick or i mean that that some people, people would say is pretty, is pretty likely, likely um or, or if, if they, they do, do end, end up, up moving up in the lottery as we saw several teams do uh if a uh, if the point guard's the best player then next year would be the draft to go get your point guard you know
0: and there i'm fine with it but the problem is we need the wins to happen first right and change the perception so that you can grab that guy, whoever he is, what is, say that say you get the ninth pick, or if you're we're talking really aggressively ninth pick. Well, the ninth pick at a point guard is probably what eighty five percent, ninety percent of the second pick in terms of lifetime value for what you can assess at the draft. So so take that guy at nine. And see what happens. I mean, Ty Jerome is just—it's a, a draft pick. You're not like going to be married to him for very long, or Ricky Rubio necessarily. It's three years. It's—I mean, Booker will be just yeah. entering his prime. Finally, when that's over.
1: And really, I guess what I'm saying is, you take the best player available. You know, and especially when you're picking in the top ten. Maybe later in the draft, you can you can fit out a need, but um, pick the best player and figure out the rest later, and not just, oh, you need a point guard, pick a point guard, um, especially when clearly this team needed a bad point
0: guard. They needed a one, yeah. And also that kind of brings up the rant that some people have is the draft should be after free agency for sure.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know. If, I think you could say it both ways because um, you could also, like, let's say – I mean, you certainly need to have the lottery before, but, um, you know, if, if you're picking fourth, you might not know who's available. Let's say there's a point guard and a, let's go back to the Suns last year. You need a point guard and power forward. You might not know which one's going to be available at four. So you pick the best point guard or power forward and then fill in the rest in free agency. Uh, whereas if you do free agency first, that could kind of screw you and make you more need to, pick, Make a pick. Whereas here, as with the Suns, they didn't, sure, they needed a point guard, quote unquote, but you didn't need to reach for it in free agency, in uh, the draft, because you knew you had free agency coming up. Whereas, you know, if, if you, if the draft, let, let's say, you know, you, you do acquire Ricky Rubio and free agency, and then, I mean, totally hypothetically, let's say John Morant slipped to six. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen. But just, you know, just to, for the idea, um, maybe it's a future draft. Say you're the top point guard slips to six. You would still want to take that guy then, but you already spent a lot of assets now, uh, financially for the position. So I don't know. You can make the argument both ways. Um, obviously it works for the NFL one way, but, um, I'm fine with how it is. I think the one thing they do need to change is, not being able to announce these trades. I mean, the most ridiculous press release I've ever seen was the Sun sending out how they drafted uh Jared mm. Culver and Oz Paula with their 6 and 32 picks when everybody knew that those picks were traded and then had to go two weeks without even talking about their draft picks. And the draft picks couldn't even, like, officially be with the team. You yeah. know, you that, that's Summer just...
0: And then you right. have them having the wrong hats on draft. You're like,
1: just... right. I mean, the hats is just a silly thing, but what it all represents, you know, that that's the part that's ridiculous when it's like, okay, we know this is going to happen. And I respect the moratorium and all that. But um, at least for these draft day trades, it's it's completely ridiculous,
0: especially with all the player movement, the player um, harnessing their own power and moving around like the teams shouldn't have to abide by these little things. If everybody's knowing it, the way the social media is that we know that it's happening, what's happening. And right. I would say fans are mostly, or <laughs> that was interesting. To, I was going to say fans are mostly smarter nowadays. not sure that's completely true. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them are, and they they're just aware of the cap and stuff. I mean, the cap, I think salary cap awareness has been the highest it's been in a long time or ever. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about, um, I guess now we can kind of get to the specific ones. Let's talk about the, I mean, well, the change from Rishon Holmes to Aaron Baines. I was a really big, really big fan of Holmes. I think Baines is going to bring us something a little different. And obviously James Jones's uh, similar comments got t- taken a little bit out of context or out Definitely. of maybe really what he wanted. But why don't you discuss that whole one, kind of what he said, and the difference between Aaron Baines and Rishon Holmes.
1: Well, I'm so old, I actually heard Baines in college. So I've I've been following this guy for a while. Um, I what what James Jones said I think was what he meant to say was this is a guy who can really push him, be a veteran leader. Um, you know, if, if things are going tough for DeAndre against a particular opponent, he can go in and bang. You can kind of learn from him. I don't think it was meant at all as a shot at Rashawn Holmes, as as some took it. And you can see how, because it's like, what? So he didn't get it done, but the difference is that Holmes is also a young player. Oh,
0: yeah, I haven't, just, Holmes is 25, and Aaron Baines is thirty, and has played the playoffs.
1: <laughs> right. Aaron Baines is a battling against Joel Embiid, so when – and uh, Embiid is, I guess that's the one matchup in particular that Embiid, that Aiton really struggled with last year. You can go in, throw Baines into the fire. You know, he can almost be another coach out there for Aiton at halftime, whereas Holmes is in the same boat of um being relative. I mean, obviously, he's been in the league for a few years, so it's not exactly like Baines. But, I mean, Baines is been playing in the Olympics, playing for Australia for years. Um he uh, he played internationally for several years before even coming to the NBA. He's played in the finals uh, for the Spurs, obviously some deep playoff runs with the Celtics. So he's a vet's bet and he's just um again not that Holmes isn't, but just a super tough guy and just kind of a different uh, relationship and different, um, feeling and a, a different type of player that I think will be a, a, a good look for the Suns, um, rebounding in particular. So it shouldn't be taken as a dig against Holmes. It's just like a lot of things this offseason, just needing a different look.
0: Yeah, for sure. And looking at the roster up and down, I am just so impressed how much, how much, not, okay. They're, they're tougher. They're more poised and they're better shooters. And they're yeah. s- like smart basketball players.
1: And the sh- the shooting to me is the biggest thing because really? you pretty much have shooting at um, every position. Obviously, Ubre and Rubio are probably below average for their positions. But, you know, at the same time, you need to respect their shot. They certainly can make it. Baines is even a, a three point shooter now if he's left wide open. Obviously, he's not exactly going to go Clay Thompson around screens, but you can't leave him open for threes. Uh, Aiden, be good this year. <laughs> Aiden we're, we all hope will become a three point shooter. Um, and if, if that happens, obviously, the, the power forwards now, that's what they're known for, both Sharich and Kaminsky. That's what they do. You've got the best shooter in the draft in Cam Johnson. And really, up and down the roster, pretty much any lineup you put in, you're gonna have three-point shooters, at least guys who who you have to respect to make the shot. And it'll be really interesting to see what that does for the spacing, because we know that certainly wasn't the case last year.
0: To me, I'm actually more impressed by the the lack of turnover. Like I tweeted this out the other like a couple weeks ago. The amount of the disparity between how many turnovers and mistakes and miscommunications happened the last half decade to this year is going to be stark. I mean, I'm so impressed. So now instead of Booker being the veteran, it's like Rubio and Tyler Johnson and Booker. Like that's a good three set set of three guards there that can actually run a team and keep it moving. There's going to be a lot less bad post-ups for Eaton for sure there's just gonna be so much better be- played
1: basketball, right? And even Ty Jerome as a rookie is, you know, kind of a that—that's what he was for Virginia last year.
0: What did you think of the Kaminsky overall? You, you mentioned him briefly, but what do you what do you think of that?
1: Well, I still have nightmares from what he did to my Wildcats two years in a row. But um, beyond that, um, I, again, that just comes down to the shooting. You—you you could see it that that one. I know. Uh, Dave Nash on on Twitter call, pretty much called that one. did like I, before. Yeah, and I pretty much, when, when he tweeted it the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. And it just goes to show you how much they valued the shooting because that is his one a big skill. Um, frankly, I haven't seen a ton of him in Charlotte, uh, but I was always super impressed with him at, at Wisconsin, the variety of ways he can score. Uh, worried about his rebounding and interior defense because those obviously aren't strong suits. But if he's playing, you know, 15 minutes a game, maybe bang with the other big guys a little bit, and most importantly, provide that shooting and spacing. That's that's all you can ask for out of him.
0: Yeah, I was I was very much of ugh, I really don't want that. But he's like you said, he's it's I come came around to small. I liked him in Wisconsin. I think he has. I mean, just kind of a turnstile in that sense. I do like that we have Sarich and Kaminsky that – I mean, so we don't have to have Warren or Oubre playing power forward for like 28 minutes a game. Um, Yeah. That would be really helpful. That rebounding was just terrible. That's why – that's really – I was thinking why Zion would have been just a perfect fit. Man, but that was never going to happen.
1: Yeah. No, that would have been a perfect fit. And, I mean, you look at the other guys. um, Like, I would have liked Noah Vonley, for example. He ended up signing, I believe, a minimum deal uh, so he would have been a good fit, but some of the, some of the other guys you could tell just wanted to re-sign with their teams. Um, it, it felt like they were for sure going to use that room mid-level for the backup power forward spot. So, um, at least decent depth. And again, like last year, no real power forwards, um, NBA caliber really on the roster. So at least he's some guy who can help out a little in that regard.
0: Yeah, for sure. And now to Kelly Oubre, uh, I think that we all kind of – some sort of came around and said that is the perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect contract to do. Uh, it was uh, 30, 30 mil over two years, which is 15 a year. I think it was a little over 15 for the first year, fourteen yeah. fifty for the second or so.
1: Yeah, 15-7 and
0: fourteen three. Oh, Oh, per- that's just perfect because they can re- – as, as people said, they can reassess – And at the right right exact time, he gets his money. He gets paid. He was on a he was on a rookie deal, which is crazy because he's twenty. I mean, that's awesome. As these are pretty good for someone. I'm just I was so excited about him. I loved that one week and a half where they beat the Warriors, the Bucks, and everybody else, the Lakers with every pretty much everybody, um, all within one week. It was Ubre. He's just the culture here for for now. um, As they and he's he's really the, the most athletic guy they have still.
1: Yeah, and that's huge because the guys—they certainly didn't put a premium on athleticism. This offseason was all about shooting, not athleticism, as we saw with their draft picks and Frank Kaminsky. So um, that's that's one thing. Absolutely had to keep an athlete like like Ubre. Um, the other thing—it's uh, it's pretty big for him as well to be able to be a free agent in that 2021 summer, especially if he can really establish himself. Since there's going to be so much money around and teams are going to lose out on their top picks and he might be a really good backup option. And as you were saying, the team went six and six when he started this year. They, he scored 20 points per game, shot 47% in that time. And that did include, as you noted, the wins against the Warriors, win against the Bucks, uh, win against the Lakers at home that essentially ended their season. So the Suns played very well when. He was in that groove. Um, I love the structure of it. I would say on a per year basis, it's a little bit high, but um, since free agency is essentially over this season, there was no opportunity cost for the fifteen seven. So it's essentially going forward one year, 14.3 million. And with, there are not really being any important players um, next off season. It's, it's the perfect contract to have him at. And then you can really reevaluate in 2021. Are you going to go all in for a big fish or do you want to bring Ubre back? And obviously you'll have his full bird rights at that point to do so, uh, during the 2021 summer. So I think that's the year that the sun should be gearing up for. And, um, so it's, it's really a perfect. Deal in that respect.
0: I mean, is the is next year's off season for the Suns maybe going to be the quietest in a decade?
1: I mean, I think it's not the Suns. I think it's everybody. I mean, the guys who we're looking at it could be well. Obviously, Anthony Davis. Um, I still don't think it's one hundred percent he resigns, even if it's probably in the nineties. You know, if this season if LeBron regresses or they don't get along, who knows? Then you've got Draymond, who we figure stays with Golden State. Um, and then it's a bunch of guys with player options, guys like Andre Drummond, DeMar DeRozan, who aren't uh, – Conley has a player option, but he'll pro- who knows? He'll probably take it. So um, it's not an impressive free agency class, certainly not anybody the Suns should really be looking at. So um, honestly, what I would prefer to do uh, before we see how they mesh is to sign – any of their free agents to one year deals so that you can really create as much cap space as possible. So the interest, the most interesting thing for next summer to me is probably what happens with Sharich, especially if he proves to be the long-term answer of power forward. Even then, I think it could be smart. Just give him a huge salary for one year so that you can preserve 2021. Of course, you'd lose his restricted rights, but at least um, that would keep some of your options open. Bring back Aaron Baines for one year and try to sign as, if not them, uh, other one year deals, kind of like what they did with the RISA, but hopefully to a more impactful player where it's everything setting up to 2021, which is the last year that they'll have cap space before, uh, signing Ayton and Bridges, hopefully to their extensions and have 2021 be that offseason where you hope the team's peaking a little bit and where you can add that that final piece to really cement this team.
0: Yeah, the other the other star or that other huge role player that just takes them over the top.
1: Exactly. And and if not, um Oubre is a great trade piece because if it is 2020, you got him an expiring contract at 14.3 million, that's a That's a valuable piece, and if if you're trying to aggregate a bunch of salaries to trade for some star or make some other deal to a team looking to create room, uh, that's that's a could be a very valuable expiring contract.
0: What do you do with uh, Tyler Johnson's 19 million this year expiring?
1: Probably nothing, to be honest. Wow, that's amazing!
0: Uh, That's like the best uh, contract for expiring you've ever seen.
1: It's it's a Tyler Johnson's contract gives the Suns the opportunity to make a play for any kind of disgruntled star and trades again with the 2020 pre-agency market being so barren trades probably would be the best way for an immediate improvement. Um, I just don't see who that player is. And with the way the Suns have depleted their other assets, uh, they don't have a second rounder for a couple of years. Uh, they don't have any extra first rounders, just all their own. To make a really big move, you'd have to probably throw in two of your first rounders. And at this point, I just don't know the kind of player outside of, I guess, if Bradley Beal does become available. But even at that point, I think with the scarcity of talent like him, uh, I think the bidding would be insane. So, um, it's, it gives them options. It's, it's nice. But I probably just let it go. But again, you never know who's available. Absolutely, if the right guy becomes available, that would be incredibly valuable.
0: I like him as the backup shooting guard. There, absolutely, it's amazing. Like he's going to be good for that. Um, for what they they bring, he can just go full full bore as he as he did at times when he's playing. Um, you mentioned Bridges. I think he's just fantastic, and yes, I just oh man. I mentioned on multiple podcasts, he's like reached his player ceiling for when he was drafted right now, <laughs> it's just kind of incredible, and where do you think he can get to in the future?
1: I mean, I think he's the player that, especially just talking to my colleagues in the jump, who people sleep on the most, just because, quite frankly, people don't watch a lot of Suns games, because I don't think they were on national TV past mid-November, outside of NBA TV, so you know that's the everyone sees booker and his highlights and the eye-popping numbers and same with Aiton, but um Bridges isn't it's not about the numbers outside of his steals numbers um but yeah watching him he could really be the perfect 3 and D player and honestly the perfect guy on a team with Booker and Aiton, um I think he he complements them well and I think there might be a little bit more creation than than what we've seen but Absolutely, the, the length that he has defensively and the, the steals, he gets steals nobody else can get just with how his instincts and his long arms. So yeah, he's, I think he's very much slept on.
0: In that Warrior game, he got Durant and Steph in like the same right. quarter. He,
1: he's, he rips guys. You just don't see it happen to them like that.
0: I mean, I think he could be Iggy plus. He could be like prime Iggy really soon.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's tough cuz he doesn't have that explosiveness per se like if you remember uh dunk contest Iguodala but as far as I I see what you mean definitely um the, the that, that type, type of, of impact.
0: impact I want to see how much uh how much strength he puts on this 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 off season though Right. He definitely. is lean.
1: Yeah, that'll be big for him.
0: I am kind of sad the Dragon Bender era is over. I was such a stan.
1: Yeah, I was too. Um You know, I, and from draft day, I wanted them to draft him. I wanted them to draft Josh Jackson. Obviously wrong on both counts.
0: Well, I don't know. Wrong on both counts or just didn't, just didn't work out.
1: I, I would say wrong. I mean, if, if you're a, if you're a top four, if you're the number four pick in the draft and, you know, Bender, he might not even be in the league next year. Um, I assume he'll be picked up at some point, but hasn't thus far. Jackson now entering his third year and, he's in a situation where he really needs to show up this year. So, yeah, I would say those were, I mean, they're certainly massive busts and certainly the wrong choice. I mean, in hindsight, the Suns could have had Jamal Murray or, uh, or De'Aaron Fox those two years.
0: Yeah. De- De'Aaron Fox would have made the last couple of years very entertaining. What do you think about the Q?
1: Um, I think that, it's unbelievable. I know we're all, everyone's really excited. I just don't get how the Suns found him and, and nobody else was willing to spend a second round pick on this guy. And I know sometimes teams, some players tell teams not to draft them uh, when you get to late in the second round because they're better off with an undrafted deal. So, I mean, it's, the athleticism is exciting. Um, his feel is exciting. And I guess it's just, we see what becomes of his jump shot. So it's, it's essentially a redshirt year this year and great to have him on a four-year deal. And it's a great lottery ticket.
0: Yeah. he, he I saw a little bit of him. I didn't get to see much of it, but man, he just seems he had the toughness that I just love. People keep it comparing him to Westbrook and he just, he kind of has that that little look to him. Definitely. Here, I had I did tweet this out as a total random thing though. It was about more of a summer league thing. I tweeted out that I think that R.J. Barrett has too much Shabazz Muhammad in him. What did you What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's um, I didn't love him at Duke. I mean, I I assumed he'd be the number one pick going into college. I mean, then obviously Zion took over and made that a joke. But um, I am worried about him not having the one elite skill. And, um, if he's going to just be a a volume scorer, which even in summer league, the first two games certainly didn't do much of. So I, I'd be a little concerned about him as overall the number three pick in this draft, certainly.
0: I mean, that's Moudier. That's, that's Shabazz Mohammed, who I always thought was just like, it's, when I'm watching him drive, it's like you're falling over. You're not really driving as you're just like, you're just kind of falling into the, towards the basket. And it's just, like, you can shoot, but you're not, like, good at it. And you're, like, I don't know. It just – he is a little bit of a shabazz to me. I'm not sure that the Knicks are going to be super happy with him in, the, in five years from now. But we'll see. Yeah. It. Anyway, so that's that. Let's uh, – I want to discuss kind of, like, expectations. We talked about kind of building how you build a team. What do you think a successful season for the Suns is this next year?
1: I mean, probably mid 30 wins would be very successful. I mean, that would be, I mean, if it's upper 30s, they could double their win total. So, um, I would say that that's what would be successful, but really more so just the development of three players, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikel Bridges. If, if those guys take steps forward, it was a successful season.
0: I, I kind of agree. I think that, I think the, the to me, there's it's two faceted. The, the one is the, Perception around the league and stability on one hand. They have Monty Williams there, which I think is going to be a great, great thing. I really hope so. I'm a little bit cautious, but I think it's going to be really, really great. Um, James Jones being the GM, getting some time, getting a veteran team, Booker and everything. But what I'm I'm curious, I want to dive into this, is what specific things does Booker, Bridges, and Agent need to do to be, like, what is that step for them? I'm thinking that for Booker, it's because he has Rubio. He doesn't have the the crutch or the uh, rationale for defense, and that he can put way more towards it. I want him to get stronger and to put a lot of work towards the defense this year and come a lot and have his use. I want his usage rate to go down by 10%, and we'll see if that can help him do defense. For Aiton, I want him to just like yam it down everybody's throat as much as possible, and for Bridges to do a lot more. Um, Two two and one dribble pull-ups.
1: Yeah, I like all of that, and I think it's all um, well within reach for them.
0: Yeah, I'm I I'm hoping. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm with you in terms of rational. Like, okay, they should hit 35. I'm I'm hoping for a totally irrational. Everything gels, and then just make the playoffs just to just to get get at people for being so down and for being so um, pessimistic about basketball and. And for not understanding how to build teams or how to look at players or how to develop players. Mm -hmm. It just drives me crazy sometimes.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, it's, they've made so many bad moves or at least what's been bad in hindsight that, um, they're never going to get the benefit of the doubt until they start winning. Yeah. So that's, I know Suns fans just are frustrated. People attack things that shouldn't be attacked. I, I think that that will, once you start winning, that'll happen less
0: they attack that goat story, which was like five or six years ago, it was actually happened or whatever. And it's like, it was so long ago. And like, yes, yes. Ownership is the biggest competitive advantage. Sarver's learning from his mistakes. And I think we are past the issues that that probably caused. Um, we had them for 10 years. It's, it's time to move on and get right. some perspective.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so I'm hoping hoping for for that. Um, do you th- what cha- I guess what percent chance do you have of them making the playoffs?
1: Um, I mean, gut said twenty percent, which I guess might even be high for some people.
0: And my gut was ten initially, but more because I'm trying to not. I don't want to. I think it, it could be more. They have the veterans. No one has like this over. There's not enough like overwhelming talent. Um, if if Westbrook goes away, I mean the Timberwolves aren't going to make it again. I don't think. What do you think that?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, if you count eight, it would be tough. It would certainly be tough. Everything would have to go right.
0: Yeah. So the, if the Timberwolves are out, if Westbrook goes to Miami, and then I don't think the Kings are actually going to make it. I'm other people seem to be higher on the Kings than I am in terms of overall talent. I mean, I think Fox is good, but I don't know. I don't. I don't see them making it. I see them. They got kind of lucky. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: No, yeah, I agree with you there.
0: And so, I mean, and then, so I don't think they're, and then all the other teams are like, I guess everyone's one injury away from not making the playoffs and when that happens and who it's too. But I think that none of these teams, like we said, none of these teams are so, so good that they can't have a bad month or they don't have good chemistry because they're all being thrown together pretty fast. Um, I think the only one that isn't thrown together, right, is the trail lasers exactly. and, the, and the Nuggets. That's the only one in the, in the West that doesn't have a serious addition to a top three, third three player on their team. Yeah. It's only one, only, only two players that don't have, I mean the, uh, the Russell, I mean the Warriors is obvious, the Clippers, the Lakers. I mean the, the Lakers literally made their their team in one day. Like, So, settle down with the Lakers or the two seed. It's possible, but my goodness.
1: I'm trying to find the exact trade. Uh, it looks like Westbrook was just traded. What? To, it looks like Houston.
0: Oh my gosh. Do you know what for?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to pull up, uh, Woj. Um, yeah, the Thunder have agreed to trade. Westbrook to Houston for Chris Paul, first round picks in 24 and 26 pick swaps in 21 and 25.
0: Well, they're not in the playoffs.
1: Thunder are playing a long game unseen in recent NBA history. Seven additional first round picks lined up through 2006 plus poor, four pick swaps via deals for Paul, George and Westbrook. Um, Oklahoma City GM Sam Presti worked with Westbrook and his agent to deliver the former MVP to his preferred destination, a reunion with James Harden.
0: That's incredible. My goodness. Like but Chris Paul. Eight first-round
1: picks. Eight first-round picks acquired since draft night.
0: That's incredible. That's so many. Presti can do so much with that. Oh, my goodness. Presti, can do- that is amazing. Thank you so much, Michael, for that. Wow. So the, the Thunder are making the playoffs, that's for sure. Sons Suns have a better chance now. I think now it's 20%, right? Um, yeah, twenty percent chance to make the playoffs, even though that's
1: Westbrook and Harden. How about that?
0: Okay, so now, like, so now let's talk the top of the West. I think that the Rockets, the Rockets, Clippers, and Lakers all have the exact same chance at the finals.
1: Mm, you got to put, put, put the Warriors point. in there.
0: Yeah. Oh, do you think they have the, you have the same chance? Yeah, I, I put them in there.
1: Absolutely.
0: Four teams have the exact same chance. I would say at the at the finals. That's gonna be some. Um, Western Conference second round. My goodness, that's gonna be incredible. Well, that's oh, that's so cool. Any other final thoughts on the Suns' things, and then any on the, on the NBA? Because I think we covered everything. We yeah,
1: um, just final thoughts on the Suns. I mean, it's you hope this is the year that they finally take that next step. Clearly, they're done. They needed to. I thought they needed to tank for a while, certainly to accumulate those draft picks. And now we're finally at the point where it's, it's time to win. So just, you have your core. They probably need one more addition to it. Hopefully in the 2021 offseason or just before it. But this is the main core.
0: Yep. And I think this core can go farther than a lot of people seem to think.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, but we'll see until, until they do it, nobody's going to buy them.
0: Oh, for sure. And here's the one final question is, who do you think has to, for them to be a championship team, who do you think has to be the best player, Booker or Aiton?
1: Booker. I, I think Booker just is the best player. so
0: and he will be uh, going forward, no matter what? Almost.
1: Is and will, yeah.
0: I, I kind of agree with you. I think people people are sleeping on him. I mean, the problem is, if he doesn't, like, if the Suns are not as bad as they were, Booker is, like, an all-star. Like, easily. He was like the fifth leading scorer. He was tied with Corey Leonard for seventh, I think, in terms of scoring. And he did it efficiently, and he did it with crazy usage with, like, quote-unquote, no good players around him. Like, now they have good players. I cannot wait to see what this this sun season is about.
1: Yep, it's going to be a fun one.
0: Well, that trade, let's go take a look at Twitter now and uh, see what this trade and see all the more specifics of it and how it plays out. Um, Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on why don't you plug your Twitter handle? I know you don't tweet a ton because you're working so hard, but uh, let yep, us. At,
1: at Schwartz Center M.
0: Yeah, follow him. Uh, you're going to not regret it because he knows his stuff. Um, watch the jump for sure with Rachel Nichols and all of them. Uh, and uh, follow me at on Twitter at Eric underscore sar E-R-I-C underscore S-A-A-R. I hopefully people have, I have good thoughts on the Suns and the NBA. I try to do a good job of thinking carefully about it. And uh, tell your friends about the Solar Insights podcast uh, and uh, follow me on Twitter. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Good night.